Yes, hello folks, welcome to a special episode of Beyond the Pitch. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown, and delighted to be joined with the magnificent Danny Higginbotham. Brilliant to have Danny back. Danny, of course, many of you long-time listeners will know, been a long-term fixture on the show. Now, of course, living out in America, working for Philadelphia Union, a number of other broadcasters as well, and as everyone knows, easily one of the best analysts in the game. So it's always a pleasure to have you have you back, Dan. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Yourself? Keeping well? well? Yes, all good, mate. All good. Can't complain. Um, it, it was it been thirteen days since United last lost the game. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, true. Lots to talk about. I want to start with Manchester United, Dan. Uh, not with any of tactical analysis and everything, but I want to get your opinion on something because reading the, some of the comments from players this week uh, on international duty, they were quite telling. Mm. I think there was a similarity in them, and you would hear what Pogba would say. You would hear. What uh, Luke Shaw said, Pogba said something that I felt was relevant. He said, they still don't have a role for me. And we're here we are coming to the end of his tenure. And if I asked you what was Paul Pogba's best position, we don't even answer. We don't even know that question, the answer to that mm. question. Um, he's been played on the left. He's been played in the middle. Then, you, then Luke Shaw was talking about feeling wanted. Dan, what is going on at Manchester United? And why is the atmosphere inside the football club so broken? I don't think there's been any continuity for a long time. So you'll you'll have, you know, we we were hoping to get the continuity from social and we got that for a while. Um, then obviously you've got Ragnick who's in at the moment. Nobody's gonna nobody knows who's gonna be the manager next season. We've obviously had plenty of managers before. There's been an unbelievable turnover of players. There's there's players there probably all the way back from <clears throat> probably still from Sir Alex Ferguson. So it's very difficult, you know, when you, when you hear players saying that, you know, you want to feel wanted and things like that, it, it, can be, it can be very difficult because you've got players there that have probably seen a cycle of three or four managers and the manager that's in charge isn't the manager that signed them. So that can become very difficult at times. And the, the one with Paul Pogba is a really interesting one because I said it for a long time now. I think he gets, Paul Pogba gets a lot of criticism and people always say, oh, well, at times, you know, he's, the money he's earning, this, that and what have you and things like that. But then he goes away with France and he always performs. And people will say, well, yeah, but that's because he's playing with better players. I get that to a certain extent, but also Paul Pogba has a definitive position in this French team. At Manchester United, we've seen him play as one of the two in front of the back four. We've seen him play on the left in a midfield three. We've seen him play as a number 10. We've seen him play left of a three behind a front man. Um, I think at times we've even seen him play potentially near enough on the left wing. And I go back to when he was signed and I I still class him as one one of the best midfielders in the world. On his, on his day. And people say, oh yeah, well, it's the consistency. Sometimes you need help to enable you to have that consistency. And when he first joined Manchester United, you know, it, he, in my opinion, was a huge piece of the jigsaw. But it was as though he was the final piece of the jigsaw, which couldn't have been further from the truth. When you have a player like Paul Pogba, still, like I say, I'll repeat again, one of the, one of the best midfielders in the world, you build a team around him. Manchester United have never built that team around him ever at any point in his in his time at Manchester United. And that's gone to show by the amount of different positions he's playing. When he signed, you, you looked at him and thought, right, he is this midfield player that can assist and can get you goals. Now, what doesn't exist now, or if they do, then I can't see them anymore. 
is a midfielder that's going to score your goals, assist goals, but also stop the ball going into the back of your own net. And when he first came to Manchester United, and for a long time as well, probably near enough up until this point, he's expected to be this player that's going to assist, going to score goals, and also going to be able to do the defensive side of things. Now, there are no players like that in world football. You're either a defensive midfielder or you're an attacking midfielder. Attacking midfielders, we know how much they're costing into the into over a hundred million pounds. And same with some of the defensive midfielders. That's going to be going towards that that way very soon. But there is no combination of both of those players that we look at and go, he is such an unbelievably good defensive player. But you know what? He gets us 15 goals a season. And that, in my mind, has been, been what's been asked of Paul Pogba for so long. And that, that just doesn't exist anymore. The game is far too quick now. And it's impossible to do both. And from that perspective and from that side of things, that's where I... That's where I understand where Paul Pogba is coming from. Because as you quite rightly said, Phil, what, what is his position? Yeah. We should know the position that he is playing in every time he plays for Manchester United. Because I don't care what anybody says, he is still Manchester United's best player in my mind. Then there's the other part of this, Dan, <clears throat> that um, I've said this before, United almost have their own entropy, where it starts out the same way with every manager and it ends up the same way. When I, when I look go back to Mourinho, and Solskjaer comes in. One of the first things he says is, um, I want this team to be the fittest in the league. And he was critical of you know, its fitness levels. And here we are come Ranyak Tanya. And you've got people like the Southampton manager saying they're cheating between the lines. They're not putting in 100%. The fitness isn't there to play the way Ranyak wants to play. These are the bare minimums I expect from a professional. But then also what you see, it's entirely cyclical. If you look at the end of Van Hal's tenure, player and player player unrest. You look at the end of Moise's tenure, player unrest. They criticized him, they wanted him out. Then you look at the end of Mourinho's tenure, players hating him, wanting him out. And then you look at the end of Solskjaer, it's exactly the same thing. These are managers with very different personalities, but it always ends up the same way. So what's the consistent theme for me? There has to be something above them that's causing this unrest. Why is there so much unrest at that football club? It's a difficult. I, I, I obviously we we did see when when Mourinho went and Van Hal, you know, obviously the the, the players were, were getting frustrated with with both the managers. I think it was it was open. We we would see it day in day out in the press and the media and things like that. I, I don't necessarily tend to think that I I saw it that much with Solskjaer. Um I think that what Solskjaer did for the players at the football club, he protected them unbelievably. Mm-hmm. He took he he took everything on his own shoulders, and the fact that he was a, a Manchester United legend, it, it it gave them it gave him the ability to be able to do that for a certain amount of time. Now, when when we talk about the fitness levels, one of the things that I would always say is that every professional footballer that's playing in the Premier League is fit, but there are different different intensity fitness levels. For example, <clears throat> excuse me. For example, when you look at Mourinho, we know that he's a manager that that, that at, at times we know that he has got that he's, that he's managed teams that are capable of scoring a lot of goals. But he is quite a pragmatic manager, you know, and his teams will play more so on the counter attack. So then, when Solskjaer comes in mid season and takes over the job, then it is very difficult then to get specific. Uh, to get your message across and to lift the, the fitness levels of a team up. So, for example, you look at uh, you look at Jurgen Klopp. You look at if he was to come and manage Manchester United tomorrow, he couldn't do 
what he's doing with the Liverpool players. I know Liverpool players have got unbelievable ability. I'm not talking about that, though. I'm talking about as in terms of the style that he wants to play. He wouldn't be able to engineer that or bring that into the team until he had a full pre-season with them because it is very difficult to make players fitter halfway through the season. That is something from my experience when new managers have come in and they've tried to do something. It's like, well, it's very difficult to do because A, you can't do that much fitness work because the games are coming thick and fast. And B, you get to a certain fitness level and you're not going to improve that throughout the season. That's something that has to be worked on, that has to be worked on in, in the summer months, the pre-season. Now, as in terms of the the unrest with the managers going and and, and things like that, I think that that happens because it, it's it's allowed to occur. And I just feel that when I when I look at this Manchester United team, and when I look at the, the Manchester United teams since Sir Alex Ferguson left, really, and probably probably after David Moyes' tenure, the 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 leadership is in terms of the players, there are more players there that need to be led than are leaders. I think if you look at any great team, you look at Manchester City, you look at Liverpool, you even look at Chelsea, you know, the third best team in, in the Premier League at the moment. There's so many leaders within, within the team. You know, you look at Liverpool, you have Henderson, you have Van Dijk, you have Robertson, you have Fabinho, you know, I'm James Milner. There's the, the list. The list would be endless. There'll be even more than that. Thiago in 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 his own way. Now leaders aren't necessarily ones that are just vocal all the time. Leaders come in all shapes and sizes. It can be leading by example. It can be vocal. It can be organisation. Whatever it may be. You look at Manchester City. They have the likes of Diaz. For me, he's a leader. Then you've got Rodri. You've got Fernandinho. Then you've got other players like Gundogan that will take responsibility. That will take the ball. You've got Laporte, you've got John Stones, you've got Walker as well. And within them, there's all there are leadership skills. Now, I look at Manchester United, and over the last few years, we can obviously say Ronaldo, he is a leader, he's been there, done it, won everything that there is to win in the game. You look and you think to yourself, Ibrahimovic, he was another one that was a leader within a group. Scott McTominay, relatively young player still, but you would say a leader in the group. Now, when no, you, Harry when Maguire, you, Harry, Harry Maguire is he's he's a player in my mind. He's not a vo, he's not a vocal player. Yes, he can be a leader, but I think he's struggling himself at the moment. And this is this is obviously going to go on to to my next point in a minute. Hmm. That Manchester United do struggle with leaders. They struggle with leadership. So if you look at the results that Manchester United have had in recent seasons, their best results, their best performances, their best achievements have been when they have the least possession. You know, you, you go back to, mm. I'm just trying to think, like the PSG games, some Manchester City games. Now, people say, well, that's because they're a good counter-attacking team. Yeah, mm. that is true because there is pace in the team. But when you are playing as the team that's sitting back, going to play on the counter-attack, you can't be caught out. You're defending deep. You're defending narrow. You're defending collectively. So that's not when you need the communication. That's not necessarily when you need those leadership skills because everybody's set in the shape. If you're left back, that's where you are going to be spending a lot of time of the game unless you're breaking on the counter-attack. If you're a central midfielder, you're a centre-back, you're going to be in those positions. Believe me, I, when I was playing myself, more often than not, we would have to do that because there were so many more better teams than us in the Premier League. But that was a lot easier to do than be expansive because mm -hmm. when you're expansive, that's when you've got to have the communication, that's when you've got to have players that can say, right, okay, you need to hold your position. You need to be in this position. You need to be in that position. 
And that, for me, is why Manchester United have found it easier when they do play on the counter-attack in recent seasons. Yes, they've got the pace, but it's easier It's easier to be compact and it's easier to be organised when you are sitting back rather than getting exposed. And that's what happens. So then when you're a team then that starts to dominate the possession, well, you are going to get players out of position. So when a player's out of position, who is the one that's saying to one of the other players, listen, you get back here, come and sit in this position. I need you here because he's gone over there or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And that's what I talk about with it as in terms of leadership, as in terms of communication, as in terms of organization on the pitch. And you look at any successful team, you go back, it's a long time now, 12, 11, 12, 13 years, whatever it is now for Manchester United, when they were having a success. How many times did you watch one of their games and every single player, or near enough every single one of them was communicating? They were talking. They didn't mind having a go at their teammates as well on the pitch. You know, I look at this Manchester City team exactly the same now. I look at this Liverpool team exactly the same as that now. And that's where Manchester United are missing. So that's what I talk about when when we go when when we talk about leadership. So therefore, at times, if you don't have that, if you don't have enough leaders in your team in a group, then there's no there's no accountability because nobody holds you accountable. And that's that's the problem that you can have. You can guarantee the top teams. In the dressing room after a game, if there's been a poor performance for an individual, there's been a poor team individual performance, you don't need the manager in the dressing room because the players are going to step up and they're going to stand up and say that this is unacceptable. But if you haven't got them, if you haven't got those types of characters in your dressing room, then there struggles to be, or there is a lack of accountability. And that for me is is one of the problems. Now, that's not me saying that Manchester United have poor players because I think they've got some outstanding players. But in amongst those outstanding players, you also have to have a group of leaders. And if you haven't got a group of leaders, then all you end up with, unfortunately, is a group of individuals in a team. Let me ask you about another unique problem in Manchester United in some sense. Um, Do you think the fact that so many players have their own PR teams, their own branding, their own image rights, that as soon as things start to go wrong, they go into damage control for their clients. Mm. And you get 13, 14 players in that dressing room blaming each other, right? I'm not talking about the social media policies. I'm talking about the leaks that come after where everybody knows where they're coming from. And you get these PR companies that are contacting journalists, everybody else leaking stories. I don't think that happens at other clubs in the same way it happens at Manchester United. But United encouraged this because they want to maximise a player's mm. commercial potential. Do you think that's a problem, Don? I do. I, I, it, the amount of times you, you see apologies from, from players after a game, I don't like it. I yeah. don't like seeing it. You know, you, you have no... From my side of things, if I'm talking from a player's perspective, no player is going out on the pitch to have a poor individual performance. No player is going out on the pitch to make a mistake defensively. No player is going out on the pitch to miss an open goal. So therefore, when you come off the pitch, the need and this desire to have to apologise really, really does bother me. Because no matter what job you do, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. So, so what do you do? Do you, do you go and, and apologise every time you have a bad day if you're doing another job? People say, oh, yeah, well, they're playing football. They're, they're there and, you know, they're playing in front of 70,000, 80,000. They're still human beings and they're yeah. still going to make mistakes. So I think, if anything, Phil, that bothers me more than anything, the fact that players feel as though they have to apologise for a poor performance. 
they have to apologize if they do something wrong in the game. I don't agree with that. And social media is a big part of that because I think players, and I saw it towards the end of, towards the end of my career, you know, we'd go back into the dressing room after a game and some of the players' first thoughts were, I need to go on social media and I need yeah. to know what's being said about me. And that's sad. That is really sad because that does, that does affect players. No question about it. But as in terms of the, the apologies and everything after games and poor performances, don't do it. A, you don't help yourself. And B, fan, fans are getting to the point where it's like, oh, here we go. We know there's going to yeah. be more apologies coming. There's no need for it. The, the, I just don't see it. It doesn't help the player. They are human. They are going to make mistakes. Manchester United aren't in a great place at the moment. But you don't have to apologize for having a bad day at, at, at your job. It's as simple as that. You know, that's, that's how I feel. Especially when you get that apology, three days later they have a game and they do exactly the same as what they did the week before where you're missing certain things that I expect. I can forgive a player for not being good enough. I can forgive a player for not mm. having form. But when I look at what they did against Liverpool, when I look at what they did against City in those back-to-back games mm. where there was zero intensity, where there wasn't even anyone flying into attack all or there wasn't anything that showed I care, um, I think that is what is nauseating the fans is like, look, I don't want an apology on social media. I want you to, I want you to apologize to me on the pitch. Put it right there. Because I don't care about your words. I care about your actions. And mm-hmm. I just, I think this is a bit much to take. If you're a Manchester director of football this summer, Dan, lots of people, oh, they need a striker, they need this, they need that. What would you be doing? I would be trying to tr- trying to create something for the club. I would be trying to create an identity, a philosophy, a style. Because I think for a little while, the club had that under under Solskjaer. You know, I think that that was something we were starting to see. But unless you have un- unless you have an identity, unless you have a culture at a football club, you, you, you ain't got a prayer. You haven't got a chance. You can go and get two of the best managers in the world to walk through the door tomorrow, i.e. Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola. Right? If they were to walk through Manchester United's doors tomorrow with, with how everything is done, they don't stand a chance. I see. And they, they, this, this is the problem. So I go back to when Manchester United were, were successful and they had those unbelievable amount of years, you know, and, and when I, when I was there as a, as a young player as well, Sir Alex Ferguson was the same or similar person to Jim Ryan, who was a reserve team manager, who was a similar or same person to Eric Harrison, who was a similar or same person to the likes of Neil Bailey to the likes of Paul McGuinness. So what happened was, was that everybody knew the players that the first team was trying to produce. So if a Jim Ryan, if an Eric Harrison, you know, may he rest in peace, what, what legend he was. Yep. If one of those coaches turned around to Sir Alex Ferguson and said, this player's doing really well. I think that he's nearly ready to play for the first team. Okay, he'll come and train with us. And they fit in no problem. Also, your scouting system was exactly the same. Everybody sang off the same hymn sheet. At the moment, you haven't got that. Manchester United just got their first, I think it was last year, wasn't it? Their first ever director of football. Your likes of Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, they've had them since 2010. Straight away, you're 11 years behind. Now, people, the thing I, the, the thing that bothers me about Manchester United is that they still think that things can be done like they were done under Sir Alex Ferguson. Yes. They can't. If Sir Alex Ferguson was managing now, the reason Sir Alex Ferguson was so successful is, yes, he was an unbelievable manager, but he moved with the times. Yes, he did. And if people say to me, oh, do you think he could manage now? 
I say, yeah, 100%, because he would move with the times. And he would have been the one to say to the football club, you need this, you need that, because football is evolving now. And when Pep Guardiola went into Manchester City, when Jurgen Klopp went into Liverpool, the first thing the club probably said to them was, what do you need to make this club successful? Yes. What changes do we need to make behind the scenes? At Manchester United, I still think there's this arrogance about them off the field, which is, if you're going to come and manage this club, this is the way we do it. And that's yes. that's not how it can be. You're, you're living, you're living in former glories. You're living in past glories. And for me, that is a that is a big problem. You have to, what you have to do, unfortunately, you have to strip everything away and you have to start again. And this isn't going anywhere fast. You know, there's been there's been so many quick fixes that have been attempted, and all it's led to is, yeah, you know what, a little bit of good fortune, a little bit of maybe finishing second in the Premier League or getting an FA Cup or getting a Europa League, but it's not sustainable. So what you have to do now is whoever the new manager is, he needs to have full control to say, I want a director of football. And if it's not the current one that's there, this is the director of football that I want at this club. My scouting network, this is how I want it to work. But that doesn't mean the manager is going to do it all himself. It means that the powers that be give somebody the stability and the platform for the club to grow. Because at the moment, what you're trying to do, every single time that a new manager comes in, you're trying to build a house on mud. Right. And eventually... So, so you used, you took my analogy. Actually, I was saying on the podcast last week. It, but that's what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. The house, the house will be all right for, for a year or so, and then it's just going to fall apart. Now, right. you need the foundations. And if you don't have the foundations, then you're never going to have any success. Just to give you an example of the analogy that I used, said it's... A, but like someone asking a builder to build your home, he shows up and says, "Where do you want me to build it? In the middle of the ocean? Like, I, I can't build it there. You need to give me a solid foundation for me to build something so that winning football games becomes the most important thing to Manchester United once again." And we're sitting here, and we're talking about structural issues, but it sounds to me like one of two things is happening: either Manchester United don't know the mistakes they're making, so they don't know how to fix them. Or there's just a steadfast refusal to acknowledge that there's structural issues at the football club and this can be fixed by a manager working within the parameters that they're given. Um, I don't know which one it is, but you would imagine nine years, the worst season possible. We've had to watch Liverpool win European Cups, Liverpool win leagues, Man City win leagues. That still hasn't prompted change. A billion pounds spent still hasn't prompted change. And yet here we are, I feel like, with a manager trying to build an identity that the people above him destroyed anyway and saying, come in and fix the problems that we created. But we aren't going to do anything different. That, to me, seems like rearranging deck chairs on a Titanic. So I, th I think there's a simple answer, Phil. So since Sir Alex Ferguson left, has there been a constant changeover of managers? Yes. Has there been a constant changeover of players? Yes. Has there been a constant changeover behind the scenes? Yes. No, exactly. <laughs> so so exactly that, that's, that, that's the thing that you have to look at. So it's all well and good saying, well, well, the, the team isn't performing. This manager isn't any good. And this, that, it's everything, for everything to be all right on the pitch, everything has to be all right off the pitch. That's, mm -hmm. how, that's, that's how it works. Because if everything's all right off the pitch, then your scouting network is where you want it to be. Your choice of players is where, where you want it to be. Your identity as a football club and as a football team is where you want it to be. Now, without that, without that structure, 
and, and this is why I go, you can go and get the best manager in the world. Go and get the best manager in the world. But without that structure, you're not going to be successful because a manager needs to come into a football club and know that I am managing the football club. He doesn't need to be worrying about anything else. And at the moment, okay, you've got you've got a few, you've got a few areas behind the scenes which are filled by football people. But a lot of the people that are that are making some of the football decisions, they're not football people. And I don't mean in a disrespectful way. They are at the top of their game in whatever line it is, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily the football side of things, but they're making decisions and it's it's just leading to a constant cul-de-sac. It's just, it, it, it ends up being Groundhog Day. And I just think what needs to happen now, there needs to be a complete change of direction. And whoever comes in in the summer, whether it's Ten Hag, whether it's Pochettino, they need to be able to come in and say, right, this is how the structure of this club is going to work. You've had next to no success over the last 10, 11 years, whatever it may be, since they last won the Premier League. They've had no consistent success. So that tells me something's going wrong. That tells me that you tried everything. And let's let's look at the managers that you've had. You've had Van, ha- Van Gaal, who has been a serial winner. You've had Mourinho, who's been a serial winner. David Moyes, okay, didn't work out for him. Then you had Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, he, he did okay for a certain amount of time. Then he took it as far as he could. So all these managers can't be wrong. Now, wh- if you're a manager at a football club and you go into the club, you should know that if you're bringing a reputation with you, like a Ten Hag would do or a Pochettino, there is the arguments of, well, you know, what's Pochettino one and things like that. I get that. But let's just say the next manager that comes in is a top-class manager. In order for that manager to be successful, why do you, it, it's like, and this is what really frustrates me, Phil, and we've seen it with Manchester United over the years as well. If you bring a player to the football club like Manchester United have done in previous seasons, Di Maria probably being the prime example, you bring him because of how well he's doing at his previous club or how well he's done at his previous club and he's going to fit into your style of play. Too many players have been brought to Manchester United after success at other clubs that don't play the same way as Manchester United and they play them in a different position as well. So that's you can then transfer that to the manager. Why would you bring a manager from another club? The reason you're bringing a manager in is because he's been successful at his previous club or he's got a reputation of, of doing good things. So therefore, why would you bring a manager into a club who you know has been successful at a previous club or has helped grow that club? Why would you tell them to change their ways? Surely, oh. and, and my point at the moment would be, if I'm a manager and Manchester United wants to interview me, no, no, I'm interviewing them. Yep. I want to know what you're going to do. Are you going to allow me to get on with what I want to do? <clears throat> are you going to make Manchester United Manchester United Football Club? Or are you going to continue to let it be Manchester United Business Club? Because if you're going to continue to allow it to be a business club, then you know what? Yes, you'll make money off the pitch, but you'll never have success on it. And that's yeah. what they have to decide what they want to do. And that's that's how that's when the top managers will go, no, I'm sorry, I'm not having this anymore. Unbelievable club. Manchester United is arguably still the biggest club in the world but it's still a team that has won next to nothing over the last 10, 11 years. And would, that, that's where it's at. Who would you pick, Ten Hag or Pochettino? It's a really difficult one because I know that with Pochettino, obviously he's been on Manchester United's radar for, for such a long, long time. He's not having the greatest of times at PSG at the moment. He's having to manage a, a lot of individuals, which is difficult. There's the argument to say that he hasn't really won much 
Um, but I, I would I would love to see him at Manchester United. But then the problem you have with that is that he plays completely different to Ragnik. So now all of a sudden, this is another temporary fix. You've brought Ragnik in since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left. He's now trying to get the players to adapt to a different style of football. But then if Pochettino comes in, he's going to be changing the mentality again. So then you've had three different styles in the space of, what, 10 months? Yeah. And you're going to bring new players into that. So then you look on the other side and say, right, well, Ten Hag's um, advantage is that he does see the game how Ralph Ragnick sees the game. So there's there's pluses and minuses for both. But what they are going to do, I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens with Ragnick long-term. You know, is he now going to have this two-year... Um, what's the role that he's supposed to have in two years? Yeah, consultancy role. Yes, consultancy role. Because he, and this is the thing, I probably mentioned it to you before, Phil. If he's having a two-year consultancy role, that means that he's going to be part of bringing the new manager in. Now, I feel that when he took the job that he wanted the manager's job, so he wanted to try and have success. So he's not had the success that he wants to have and the players haven't been able to adjust to his style. So then if he brings a manager that sees the game in the same way he does but the players that haven't been able to adjust to the way that Ragnar wants to play the game, what happens then? Do you say, okay, we're just going to go and buy another seven or eight players? And it's it's a merry-go-round. And at some point, you have, to, you have to stop it. You have to stop it and say, no, we've got to stick to our principles now. Whatever those principles are, create them and go forward. Because I don't, I don't know what I'm seeing from Manchester United at the moment when they step on the pitch. I don't know whether I'm going to see this team that... That, that, that's flying forward or, or I don't know if I'm going to see this team that's going to concede a lot of goals. And the players have been getting a lot of criticism and rightly so, but I don't think half of them know what's expected of them either. If you were director of football, what players would you sign this summer? Sign? Yeah. Well, I, I you, you definitely, you need a centre forward. Mm-hmm. You need a centre forward Ooh. without doubt. See, now this is the, the problem that you have now, for, right? If we go back seven, eight years, right? Seven, eight, nine years, let's go back. A top striker comes on the market, Manchester United are going to be number one or number two, as in mm-hmm. terms of preference for that striker. My issue now is that I don't even know whether we're in the top five. Yeah. I think if a player has a choice of Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Barcelona, obviously financial restrictions permitting, Real Madrid, there's an argument to say Bayern Munich as well. I think United are below all of them. Now, if you went back eight, nine years ago, dependent, we all know everybody want, wants to play at Barcelona, wants to play at Real Madrid. So, you know, if it wasn't Real Madrid or Barcelona, it would have been Manchester United. Now, I, I, I just don't see where they fall in line. So we've got all these players that are becoming available. Your likes of Harry Kane, you know, they talk about him moving from Tottenham, Haaland, Mbappe, you know, Lewandowski, even at Bayern Munich, you know, there, there, there seems to be something going on there where he could potentially move. They, you don't like to say it, but they would probably be one of their last choices for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Sorry, one, one of the last choices for the players to come to Manchester United unless, and the problem that you have now is that when you are going after these star players, and I'll give you a prime example in a minute, when you're going after these star players, Manchester United could say, right, okay, um, Manchester City or Liverpool or Real Madrid, whoever it may be, they've offered you £350,000 a week. I'll tell you what, we'll give you £400,000 a week. 
top players don't care about that extra 50,000. Robin yeah. Van Persie is a prime example. He left from Arsenal, could have gone to Manchester City for a lot more money, came to Manchester United because there's a greater there's a greater chance of winning things. These players that I've just mentioned now, if they retire tomorrow, they're set for life. They'd never have to do anything again. And quite rightly so, because of what they've done on, on the world stage, on the domestic stage. So the problem that you have now is that, whereas in the past, you, you could probably say, well, that player's going to choose Manchester United because Manchester United will give him an extra, I don't know, 60, 70,000 pound a week. The type of player that you want to go, and Ronaldo, okay, but we all know the the history with him and Manchester United. So that's a little bit of a different one. That's a little bit of a different case. But I think when you look at these other top players now, and I mean the top, top players, the ones that could help to elevate Manchester United back up to where they belong, and there needs to be a few of them. The problem is, is that top players don't move for money now. Top players move for success. I don't remember the last time that I saw a world-class player go to a club and think to myself, the only reason he's gone there is for money. You know, okay, you could argue Messi, extreme circumstances because of what happened at Barcelona. Ronaldo, arguably, if there was talk of Manchester City, he probably could have got more money at Manchester City or it was his, it was his association with Manchester United. But other than that, the players that I've just mentioned there, they don't move to clubs just for the money. If someone says, well, you're going to get 50,000 or 100,000 less a week here, but you know what? You've got a greater chan chance of winning the championship. You've got a greater chance of winning your domestic league. They're going to take that every single day of the week. So the, the, the players now, unfortunately, that I look and think, yeah, it'd be great if Manchester United got them. Yes, eight, nine, 10 years ago was a reality. Now, I think a lot of it is a pipe dream. Last question, man, and I, I want to ask you about if you need to go out and send a big striker this summer, how mm. do you fit a central striker into that team when Cristiano Ronaldo has to start every week? Hmm. Well, that that is that is that that's the difficult one, isn't it? It, mm. it is the difficult one. But you know, at the end of the day, the the reason you and me are fans and do what we do and our supporters, we don't get paid to make those decisions. Yeah. So it, it has to be a scenario, and this is where a new manager has to come in and be given the ability to say, I'm picking my team and I'm having no pressure from anyone else to tell me who's playing in my team. And if that means that Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't start every single game, then that means he doesn't start every single game. But what you have to do, and this is the difficult thing, is the, is the likelihood, unless you're able to get a Harry Kane because Pochettino decides that he wants to come to Manchester United or Manchester United sign him, if they get Harry Kane, that's a different scenario. Do you think that Manchester United, at the moment, the scenario that they find themselves in, albeit they're still one of the biggest clubs in world football, we all know that, but the, the success that they've been starved of, do you think potentially that they could go and sign a better centre-forward than Cristiano Ronaldo? That's probably my question to you. It depends, Dan. Uh, I think right now, no. Uh, mm. And for the reasons mm. that you outlined, is that yeah. When you name the obvious strikers that you would bring in that would be better than him, United wouldn't be in the running for them. I'm not even sure they could afford a hurricane. Uh, mm. If you're talking about Declan Rice and everybody else, it's just, that yeah. money's just not there. Um, you know, you, they still need to replace Pogba too. Uh, and there's other positions that they need to address, perhaps a defensive midfielder. Uh, so yeah, it, 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 it's it's a bit depressing to be honest. Um, you know, I think uh, it's hard to see. It wouldn't have surprised me if Lewandowski was out of contract and had went for that. Because if you look at what they've done, the Ibrahimovic, 
with even with Falcao, uh, you look at Ronaldo, they've they've kicked that can down the road for a while yeah. without yeah. really addressing it. And it's quick fixes. Yeah, and I think maybe they were hoping Mason Greenwood would end up being a central striker. Mm. Um, but obviously we'll leave that well alone. But mm. um lots of different permutations, mate. I had about a thousand questions, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, before you go, how's life in America? Good, really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. Just waiting for this um for the weather to turn now. I'll tell you what the, the seasons. I know you don't uh, you don't get it where you are, you're all right. I know I, I know that constant constant sun all year round, but God, I'll tell you that the winters they are extreme here, but you oh, look you forward know. then to the summer and it's no, it's great. The family are all settled. Obviously, the 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 work side of things going really good. MLS season started well, Philadelphia Union, they're yeah. flying top of the league. So no, no, it's 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 really enjoyable. Just um, like sixteen months, I think I've been in. I, it's yeah. flown by, but yeah, it's, sixteen months already. Jesus, I, I know, mate. No, right, I Dan, listen, mate. Always a pleasure. Thanks very much for doing this. Appreciate your time as always, and we'll catch up again soon. Take it easy, mate. Likewise, mate. See you in a bit.